I've entitled this Bible study this morning, Aliens Among Us. And I know that some of you may have come this morning expecting a service on something from outer space. Well, you'll be disappointed because this Bible study this morning comes directly, comes directly from the passage of Scripture that we've just looked at. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads as we begin this time of Bible study this morning. Great God of the heavens, we acknowledge you as the creator of all, as the sovereign of this earth. And this morning we pray that you will come down into this church. We have experienced you in the music and in the prayer We experienced you as we gave our offerings, but now, Lord, we ask for an extra special blessing as we open the Bible. Open our hearts this morning to the truth. I pray, God, that you will work through my mind, that you will work through my mouth, that you will make this message a clear one. And I pray, God, that your people will leave this church warmed by your Holy Spirit and drawn to the truth of the Scripture is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been reading a book called Vanishing Conscience. There are not a lot of books around that I have read recently that have a deep impact on me, but this book is having a deep impact on me. And I I think if I was to give you the premise of the book in one line, it would be we are losing our ability to recognise sin. If I could give you the premise in one line, it would be we are losing our ability to recognise sin. I thought about that for a moment. In the culture, in the world we live in, perhaps it is true. Perhaps as a people, as Christians, we are losing our ability to recognise sin. As I read this book, and it was on the third page of the book, the writer wrote a sentence that just leaped out at me. It leapt at me, it hit me. I don't know whether you've ever had that happen to you when you've been reading a book. And the sentence goes like this. God has abandoned our culture... He's talking about Western culture. He said, God has abandoned our culture to its own depravity. Well, I stopped and and, and I thought about that with the immorality and the lies and the violence that we see in our culture, in our Western culture, here in Australia, overseas in the United States, in Great Britain, in Europe and in New Zealand. Has God, is it possible that God has abandoned our culture with its immorality, with its lies and with its violence? And as I was reflecting on this sentence in this book that is having a deep impact on my life, I reflected, I remembered back to the Bible where Paul, talking about Roman culture, the culture that he lived in, where Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 26 says, because of their sin, God gave them over or God abandoned them to their shameful lusts. And as I read this, as I reflected on this sentence, I couldn't but help pray. Please, dear God, if you have abandoned our culture, and I'm actually not up here this morning saying that God has abandoned our culture. 
I'm just sharing with you what this author said. But I fell on my knees as I was reading this and I said, God, please God, if you have abandoned our culture, please do not abandon me. Do not abandon, I pray, dear Lord, Warunga Seventh-day Adventist Church, and please do not abandon Sydney, do not abandon Australia, because there are still people out there, I believe, whose hearts are open to the call of the Holy Spirit and to God himself. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord roam around the earth, And I still believe, although God may have abandoned the culture, that in this culture, in Australia, there are still people, praise God, whose hearts are open to his call. There are still people here, I believe, in Sydney that have hearts that are sensitive, that are open to the call of God. And there are still people, I believe, in this church this morning whose hearts are open, are sensitive to the call of God. And God's eyes roam throughout Australia. God's eyes roam throughout Sydney. And this morning, God's eyes are roaming throughout this church, this church where you are sitting, looking to see if there is someone whose heart is open to him. God is still finding, praise God, He is still finding, perhaps in our abandoned culture, he is still finding peoples whose hearts are open to him. I look at our own church and I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. It is such an exciting church to be a part of. Diane and I were talking the other day and we said, and we shared amongst ourselves and God forbid it happened too soon, but when we've got to leave here, and I hope it doesn't happen too soon, but you never know the way the brethren work, When we have to leave here, for the first time in our lives, we will experience a major wrench. This is a good church. It's a church, I praise God, that he's blessing. And I want to tell you that just in the last year or two in this church, God has, in this community, God has found people whose hearts are open to him. I think of Richard and Rachel, of Lise. Of Alana, Jessica, Vina and Praveen, of another Richard, of Craig and many more people that are in this congregation this morning that in the last year or two have opened their hearts to Jesus Christ. And you know, you look at what's happened to these people who have been baptised in this font, some of them still coming to Jesus. And the one thing they all have in common is they have gone through a conversion experience. What is a conversion experience? It is that miraculous, supernatural event where Jesus comes into your life, turns it upside down and changes it forever. And today I want to share with you a little passage that describes very succinctly, it describes in a very compact way the experience of someone who has had a conversion And I want to ask you, as we begin this Bible study this morning, I want to ask you to ask yourself, and I couldn't be more serious. Ask yourself. You know the answer. In fact, only you and God know the answer. Have you been converted? Ask yourself. Have I been converted? It's a serious question. Because the answer to that question determines whether you'll live for eternity or not. And you can come to church, 
year after year after year and not be converted. In fact, you can come to church, you can pay your tithe and offerings, you can hold position in the church all your life. If you have not been converted, if you have not had this supernatural experience happen to you, then you will be lost when Jesus comes. And it will be a tragedy to attend a Christian church. It will be a tragedy to to attend Warunga Seventh-day Adventist Church all your life and not experience this conversion. And so as we do this study this morning, keep asking yourself, have I been converted? Are the factors, are the things that show I am converted evident in my life? Let's look at them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, this is talking about converted people, but you are a chosen people. The first thing I want to tell you this morning about somebody who's been converted, who's had that supernatural experience with Jesus where he's come into their life and changed them, the first thing I want to tell you is that they are chosen, chosen by God and they know it. Do you know this morning that you are chosen by God? I remember when I was in grade two, the under seven soccer team was to be chosen, I was going to Zilmere Adventist School, the under seven soccer team was to be chosen for Zilmere School to play the under seven soccer team across the city, Mount Cravat Adventist School there in Brisbane. And I thought, I believed, although I wasn't that good at soccer, I've always been a little bit, um, I don't know what you'd call it, better endowed. (laughs) What do you call it? Big muscled, (laughs) big boned. But I was sure that I would get chosen in this team. There were only 12 boys in the class. How many on a soccer team? 11. Surely I'll be chosen to play on the soccer team against the, 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 the big enemy, Mount Cravat. Can you imagine my horror when the names were read out of who was on the soccer team and at the bottom of the list, in fact not on the list, was Lloyd Groleman. And I can remember to this day being stuck in a classroom of girls watching 11 boys, every other boy in my class. And if you don't believe this has had an indelible impact on me, it's 35 years ago and I can still remember it and there's still something down in there that that hurts. When every one of them got up and walked out of the room to play soccer and I was left with the classroom of girls, I was not chosen. And it had an impact on me. But the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, when I was 26 years of age and he came down inside of me, not only was I chosen on that day, I knew it. I became a chosen son of God. And when you are chosen and when you know it and you do know it when you go through that conversion experience, it makes a difference. I don't know about you, but it makes a difference to me to know that I am chosen by God. I am his chosen son. Moses freed a nation from slavery after God chose him. Elijah on Mount Carmel 
freed an entire country from idolatry after God chose him. Moses knew he was chosen. Elijah knew he was chosen. Daniel became the most powerful man in the ancient world after he was chosen by God. Saul became Paul and took the story of Jesus, took the gospel to the entire world after he was chosen. And John wrote the book of Revelation, a book that is shaking the world today. He wrote it after the age of 90, but he did it knowing that he was chosen of God. I want to tell you this morning, and I'm not talking cliches, I'm not talking airy-fairy, muffy-puffy stuff up there. To be chosen makes a difference. There's a power that comes into your life when you know you are chosen by God. I look at our world, especially our young people, but it's amongst the older ones too. And I see the attacks, the constant attacks of Satan on their self-esteem. It causes me pain. It's got to cause you pain. It causes our community, our society, our culture pain. When you see that the biggest killer of young people under the age of 21 is what? It's suicide. What happening to these young people? Made in the image of God. Chosen by him before they were born. Read Jeremiah chapter 1. That Satan can attack this choosing to such an extent that a young person with their whole life ahead of them takes their life rather than live it for God. Oh, you better believe it makes a difference when you recognise you are chosen, when you go through this conversion experience. I want to tell you that you walk with your shoulders back just a little more and your head a little higher to know that you are chosen by God to be his son or daughter. And I'll tell you something before we go on to the next point. And I have to keep moving because of time. But if you know you are chosen by God, You can go through just about anything and you will make it. You can go through any disaster. You can go through any tragedy if you just recognise that you are chosen by the King of Heaven. Let's keep moving very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. When you are converted, second point, you become part of a royal priesthood. I've had the privilege of trying to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in just the last 12 months. I want to tell you something. It was a bit of an exercise getting through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. But if there's one thing that came out of those four books as I read them, it's that the job, the work of the priest is to bring people to Jesus Christ. When you are converted, are you hearing me? When you've had that experience, then it becomes your privilege to point Jesus, to point people to Jesus. It becomes the overwhelming objective of your life. And it amazes me. You see people who are first coming to the Lord. And I asked Lisa, could I say this? But I've got Lisa in here who's a Bible study. And you don't mind me saying, girl, she just can't keep quiet about Jesus Christ. Everybody she comes in contact with, she's talking to about Jesus. I wonder this morning whether that's your experience. Can you not be shut up when it comes to Jesus? 
Oh, you see people who are baptised and they're all excited and they're running around and they're, they're doing letter boxing and they're, they're talking to their family and they're talking to everyone about Jesus and we sit back in the, the church with our sage wise heads and we say, well, they'll settle down. They'll be alright in the long run. Well, I think we ought to be praying as a church that they never settle down. And I think we ought to be praying that they never be alright. Because when you've had a conversion experience, you become part of a royal priesthood. That means you take it as your, your, your responsibility. It becomes the overwhelming objective of your life to share people with Jesus. You push them into Jesus. You let them have an experience, if they will, will with Jesus. You can't be shut up about Jesus. And I think again of people in the Bible. Enoch, all he could talk about was God. Jeremiah. All Jeremiah could talk about was God. His whole ministry was a part was to push people into God. And you can go on and on. The disciples had a conversion experience. All they could do, their whole life, was pointed towards sharing the love of Jesus with a broken down world. Are you doing that? Is that the overwhelming obsession of your life, to share Jesus with others? Because it should be if you're converted. You remember the story of the woman at the well. You want to find out what happens to you when you get converted. Go and read that story in John chapter 3, John chapter 4, I think it is. Amazing story where Jesus comes into this woman's life. She's only known Jesus for half an hour or so. She goes back into town. She's excited. And what does she do? She brings the entire town back to hear about Jesus. In fact, more than hear about Jesus, to be with Jesus. I tell you what, we talk about church growth, we talk about television, the need to get out there into the community. If we had truly, all of us, a conversion experience, this wouldn't even be an issue. We would be bringing people into this church at such a rate that we wouldn't be able to fit them in the door. And if you don't believe me, have a look in the Bible at every single instance of someone who gets converted to Jesus Christ, converted to God. They are bringing masses of people to the Lord and often it's as simple as an invitation. Let's keep going, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We know that Israel failed as a holy nation. They never did really do what God wanted them to do. And so in New Testament times we find that the church replaces the nation. And I thought to myself, a holy church, what is a holy church? So I went to the dictionary and I had a look at the dictionary and listen to what the dictionary said. Holy is dedicated or set apart for service to God. Let me say that again. Listen carefully. This is what a holy church is. Dedicated or set apart for service to God. When you are converted... Not only are you chosen, not only are you a part of a royal priesthood, not only, and I'm checking my, 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 my notes here, but not only are you chosen, not only are you a royal priesthood, but you're a part of a holy nation. And I wonder whether our church is wholly dedicated and set apart to serve God. You know what that means? It means that just like a converted person, a converted church, overwhelming objective is to share Jesus. Now listen to me. A church like this 
will do anything. Are you hearing me? Will do anything to advance the cause of Christ. Now let me take this to the absurd. But I truly mean what I'm saying now. I would... Now, I don't, I've got to be sensitive considering what we've been talking about in the last year or two at Wurunga. But hear me and hear what I'm saying. I'm not going to do this, but this is what I would do if it would work. I would bring a D12 bulldozer in. I would bulldoze the church down. Sorry, David, he's looking at me rather worried here. I would plant a tree and I would meet under that tree to worship if it would advance the cause of Christ. Did you hear me? That's how extreme I believe the church, a holy church, that's going to finish the work, a church that will have the Holy Spirit come upon it, that's how extreme a church needs to be when it comes to advancing the cause of Christ. Nothing, I'm going to say it again, nothing can ever, should, must never get in the way of the church advancing the cause of Christ. That's a holy church. That's a church dedicated to service. And that's a church that the Lord is looking to use to finish the gospel at the end of time. It is these churches that are, that are dedicated to the service of God, that are holy churches that will be blessed and be full to overflowing and be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. It, it is a, a serious notion to go through that, isn't it? That we would do anything to advance the cause of Christ. But that's where we must be. If you are, and let's keep moving, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, if you are going for a conversion experience, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you are a people belonging to God. I, have, I watched David and Carmen this morning with little Michaela. You better believe that Michaela belongs to them. And if you don't believe it, you try and take her out of her dad or her mum's arms without permission. I used to, when my girls were a little smaller, and I still indulge myself in it a little bit, go to my little girl, Danae, and I used to do it with Hannah, and I used to look at them and I'd say, who do you belong to, Danae? And what do you think she'd say? No, actually she didn't say Jesus, she probably should have. She said, I belong to Daddy. And I look at Hannah and say, now who do you belong to, Hannah? She's a little bit older and she'd stir me up sometimes and she'd say, I belong to Mummy. I say, but what about Daddy? And she'd go, oh yes, I belong to Daddy too. And I think that when you are converted, and I really believe this, it's such a wonderful experience. When you're converted, God looks down and he says, Lloyd belongs to me and he wants to hear from me. Lloyd, who do you belong to? And I say it to him and it does you good to say it. Jesus, I belong to you. When you're converted, you belong to God. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the things of the world. You belong to God, to Jesus and none other. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep, my people, he's talking about you, we who belong to him. They listen to my voice. I know them, he said. Jesus says, I know you and they follow me. I want to tell you that Peter, the disciple of Jesus, hung upside down on a cross and died because he knew who he belonged to. Jonah went to Nineveh, now admittedly had to be put in the belly of a fish to go there in the first place. But remember, these were people who impaled on stakes their enemies. Jonah went there because he knew who he belonged to. He belonged to God. 
Elijah stood on Mount Carmel against 400 heathen priests and he did it with courage because he knew he belonged to. He belonged to God. And John was imprisoned on Patmos and he did it because he knew he belonged to. He belonged to God. And I fight, I stand here today because I belong to God. And I want to tell you that as we go into the end of time of the trouble and the trials and the persecution that if you are converted and follow Jesus you will face, you better know you belong to God. And if you're converted, you have no doubt in your minds that you belong to God. First Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. You are to declare, if you had a conversion experience, you are to declare God's praises to the highest mountain. Your life is one giant praise to God. Everywhere you go, and I'm seeing it happening to Lisa again, I see it happen to other people I'm working with, everywhere you go you are praising God. People can't shut you up. God is having too big an impact on your life. And I think of Daniel in the lion's den. When he got on his knees to pray three times a day, he was praising God. The king and his servant said, you must stop. If you do not stop, we will put you into a lion's den and you will die. That couldn't stop Daniel. So, so filled with God was he that even under the threat of his life, he could not stop praising the Lord. And if you are converted, you will praise the Lord. You will praise the Lord in your life. You will praise the Lord at church. It staggers me. And I'm glad this doesn't happen at Warunga. The people can come to church having had a conversion experience and get up to sing and they sound like this and it's a and there's no power and there's no vibrancy and there's no excitement. Look, when God comes into your life and turns it upside down, there is excitement, there is power, there is vibrancy because your whole life is a thing of worship. You declare God's praises so the whole world can hear it. Oh, that's a part of what it is to be converted. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. When you are converted, you know, you remember, you never forget that you were called from darkness. You remember what it was like in darkness into the light. I know what it's like firsthand to be called from darkness to light. I, I sometimes, I'm a, I'm a member of a gym. Did you know that? I know you can tell. I enjoy my exercise and I know a lot of you aren't going to believe this, but I'm doing five to six hours exercise a week. Can you believe it? I'm eating well as, too, as well too, let me tell you. But I'm exercising, I go to the gym, it's in Castle Hill and that membership of that gym allows me into a restaurant. Those two don't really go together, do they? Gym and restaurant. But that's where I go sometimes with my family. And in that restaurant on the hour, the clock goes dong. You know what everybody does? They stand up, they face, I think it is the east. Do you know what they're doing? And someone says, lest we forget. Lest we forget. And as I stand there eating my meal and all of a sudden it's interrupted and I've got to stand up and face that, that, that whatever it is, lest we forget, what am I not forgetting? All those young men who died so that I can live in freedom. And when you are taken from darkness into light, 
The Bible says you never forget what Jesus did by dragging you from where you are to where you are now. Verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Now you belong to God. Oh, I wish we could just get a sense of the enormity and the privilege of what it is to actually belong to God. I remember in my life, 26 years without Jesus, what it was like without him. And I'm not talking cliches to you here when I say I remember the emptiness I do without Jesus. To me it was never about being a Seventh-day Adventist when I came back to God. It was all about Jesus. And I remember the emptiness. And I remember the bone-cold loneliness. The aimless wanderings of my lost soul. I remember the sins. I still remember the sins that I used to participate. And the guilt and the shame that when the devil's attacking me still washes over me at times. But then I remember that Jesus took me from darkness into light and his peace comes upon me and his forgiveness washes over me. You know, I often think of Paul, that great hero of God in the New Testament that took the message of Jesus to the world. He was a, he was a killer He was a murderer of God's people and I often wonder, was it one of the things that drove him? Was it it the fact that he had come from such darkness into such light? That now he belonged and he remembered where he had been and now where God had taken him, he was experienced the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Is that what drove him on to share the gospel to the world to the point where he could walk into that square in Rome? and lay his head upon a block and have it taken off for his love for Christ because that's what happened to Paul. I think so. When you're converted, you remember where you come from and you never lose sight of the fact that you belong to God. Verse 10, as we come to the end of this, once you were not a people but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Oh, I wish I had more time to unpack this. When you are converted... You understand what it's like to receive the mercy of God. There is nothing that impacts me more in life than the mercy of God to my sin-darkened soul. And I think of the story of Mary, the prostitute, who was dragged out of that room in the act of betrayal to perhaps uh, another wife, dragged out in the very act before Jesus, not in, she's not deserving of any mercy, exposed to the world at the feet of Jesus, lying naked, expecting to die. And the Pharisees, you remember what they said, our law says such a woman should die. What sayest you, Jesus? Trying to trap him because they knew that if Jesus said, kill the woman, she's committed adultery, that they would say, you've broken the laws of Rome. And you remember what Jesus said, he begins to write in the dust their sins. And one by one they disappear until the only one left is Mary and she looks up into Jesus' eyes, she knows she's forgiven. She's experiencing firsthand the mercy of God and you better believe it made a difference. And I wonder today, do you know what it's like to receive the mercy of God? This is part of the conversion experience. Do you know what it's like when there's nowhere else to go? 
There's no one to talk to. There's no one to comfort you. And you fall at the feet of Jesus. There's no one else to look at and you are begging for mercy. I do. And when you get the mercy of Jesus like that, it is liberating. It gives you freedom. It gives you life to the fullest. When you are converted, you experience the mercy of Christ and you look at the story of Mary. She knew what it was like to receive the mercy of Christ and it made a difference. This woman went to the cross. When everyone else fled from Jesus, you read John chapter 19, there is Mary with two other women at the foot of the cross. She stayed loyal to Jesus to the end because she had received his mercy. And now the climax of this study in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers... In the world, when you have a conversion experience, hear me today church, you become an alien. You are no longer comfortable in this world. Often you are not accepted in this world. You are not really a part of this world. You are, and the Bible says it, an alien. Look at the aliens in the Bible. Abel, follower of God. Alien, he was killed. Noah, follower of God. Alien, he was ostracised to such an extent that in the entire world, and he preached to the world, he only had seven converts and they were his family who went into the ark. Isaiah, an alien, sword in two. Jesus, Messiah of the world, an alien, crucified. Disciples, followers of Jesus, aliens, every one of them except the Apostle John, martyred. The apostolic church, the church that Jesus set up in the world. Aliens crushed by the Roman rulers. The Middle Ages church, again aliens slaughtered by the world because they did not fit in. Look, make no mistake, when you go through that conversion experience, expect hostility from the world. You're going to get it because you'll be an alien. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Talk about alien. Someone not comfortable in the world, he says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. This guy's an alien. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. Verse 26, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. This guy's an alien. I have laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And then he finishes off by saying in verse 28, Beside everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. I wonder, are you an alien in this world? Or have you become a citizen? I think that's a good question for us as Seventh-day Adventists living in Australia. I pray to God that we have some aliens sitting with us among among us in this church today. And the last part of this study this morning, so, and verse 11, abstain. Well, let me go back to the beginning. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And so now I finish. Many of us sit comfortably with this world. I think I might be one of them. Not aliens, but becoming more and more citizens. We participate in the delights of a sinful world. 
I think of some of the things we're struggling with. Let me talk young people as I conclude. The lust of the flesh. Well, the world is telling us it's okay to live with our girlfriend or our boyfriend or to sleep with them. Oh, just as long as the pastor or the church doesn't know, you'll be okay. The Bible says abstain. Be an alien. The greed of the world we live in. The Bible says abstain. The selfishness, breathtaking selfishness in the world. The Bible says abstain. The wickedness, and I think again, I talk to our youth again, the movies and the music that are assaulting our minds. The Bible says abstain. The anger you see in the world, and it's everywhere, and it must not, it should not, it cannot infiltrate the church because the Bible says abstain. Abstain from sinful desires. A converted person knows how to abstain, knows how to fight, knows how to defeat Satan. I wonder if this describes your experience with Jesus today. Are you converted as we close? Are you chosen? Answer that to yourself. Are you a part of a royal priesthood? Are you a part of a holy nation, a holy church? Are you a people belonging to God, knowing you do? Are you praising God? Are you remembering that you were called from light to darkness? Are you remembering that you know what it's like to receive God's mercy? Are you an alien and are you abstaining from sin? I've uh, been walking with Jesus since I was 26. I'm 42. Life seems to be flashing away on me. I feel like I'm turning into an old man before my own eyes. In the 16, 17, 18 years I've been walking with Jesus, I've never had such peace. I've never experienced life like I have with Jesus. I haven't had a perfect walk. You just talk to my wife about that. But I know what it's like to have Jesus come inside of me. I know what it's like to have Jesus settled my troubled heart. I know what it's like to have Jesus take the anger out of my life. I was an angry young man before I met Jesus Christ. I know what it's like to go through a conversion experience to receive the mercy of God. And I can do nothing more this morning than to advance you the same Jesus, the same Jesus who changed all these men and women in the Bible, the same Jesus that came into my life and changed me. The same Jesus that's changed some of you. I can only advance him and encourage you to get onto your knees, to invite him into your heart and to let him take you through a conversion experience. It is like no other experience you will ever have while living on this earth. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning knowing how desperately we need you. Some of us do not follow you. Some of us may not even have any inclinations to follow you, Lord. I'll just ask that you would come down here into this church now as we close and touch our hearts with your gentle love and call us to you. May we experience the joy of a conversion and I'm talking about a conversion, Lord, of the heart, of the life, of the soul. That's what we all seek. That's what we all desire, Lord, and I know it's what we all need. Hear our prayer this morning, I pray in your name. Amen.